Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Charlton Live. I hope you guys are well. My name is Louis Mendez, and it's a very special episode of Charlton Live this evening for you. We're about to be joined live uh, from the team hotel in Bristol by the Addicts boss, uh, Dean Holden. Before I bring him in, uh, introduce you to everyone else on the show, first of all. So, first up, Mr. Tom Wallen. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to this. And also, uh, a man who's just absolutely smashed a madras in the uh, the last few moments before the show, Joe Puddyfoot. How you doing, Joe? <clears throat> yeah, well nourished and uh, ready for what I'm sure is going to be a fun uh, fun little session with Dean. And uh, long weekend as well. A few beers planned. Yeah, well, you've already he's already been uh, buttering up Dean to try and join him in his, in his pub at some point. <laughs> so, with uh, no further ado, let's bring in uh, the Addicts boss who joins us live. Uh, from the team hotel uh, down in Bristol. Uh, good evening, Dean Holden. How are you? Yeah, very good, Louis. How are we doing, fellas? Yeah, all good. All good. good. Thanks so much for, uh, for for joining us. So we've got you for the whole hour. So um, good evening and welcome to everyone who's uh, joining us on YouTube as well live. Um, we're looking forward to uh, hearing some of your questions. So send them in in the comments section. Uh, anyone watching on Catch Up as well, uh, make sure you log in to, our, to your YouTube um, page and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss uh, any more live shows uh, like this. So, um, Dean, um, we've got you for the whole hour. We're going to cover a lot of subjects, but I mean, j- just a quick eye on, on tomorrow's game. Um, how's preparation been this week? Obviously, on, on, on the back of a 6 0 win against Shrewsbury, does that make it easier or more difficult? Because you, you've got to hit those levels again. Is, is there a danger of complacency? Expectation levels have, have been raised, I guess. Um... Well, you say you've got me for the full hour. That depends if you call any of our defenders by a derogatory name, which I found out about <laughs> prior to coming on the show. So I stand by uh, said defenders, Manny Egbo and, and the likes, for the for the, the stuff on Twitter I was made aware of. Um, you know what? It was a it was obviously a really pleasing victory last week. It, it, it's I think the biggest uh, victory in seventy odd years. Um, messages from supporters saying how much they enjoyed the day. There was obviously a lot of children at the game. It was. It was a fantastic scoreline. Um, aside from the scoreline, if we'd have won it 2-0 or 3-0 or 1-0, it was still an excellent performance. And that's all we can really focus on, Louis. I mean, there's been some wins, certainly earlier in my tenure, where they could have gone either way. We, we nicked a goal here and there and we managed to go on a decent run. But that one was was obviously emphatic. It could have been more without sounding arrogant. So everything came together. I thought defensively we looked really solid. We hunted in packs. We, we pressed the ball really well. We ended up scoring from two high-press sort of moments, two counter-attacks and two set-pieces. So, all areas that we need to keep improving on. But, yeah, to win 6-0, it's obviously generated a lot of interest for the club, which I think, again, with the recent uncertainty over the, I say recent, over a good, good period of time now, I think whenever we can get Charlton Athletic in the headlines for the right reasons, and that was obviously one of them, that's that's a big, that's a huge bonus as well. So, there's been a good week, as, as, you, as you'd imagine. The sun started shining and it's spring has sprung and it's that stage of the season now. Um... I love the, the calendar in, in terms of the Easter weekend. I, I've always enjoyed that. There's always stuff going on with teams being promoted and it's always a quite a big weekend in it within the within the, the season. So for us, yeah, trip to Bristol, it was three points and that was all it was. But you know, you have to add to that the spirit and the and the confidence that the lads have gained and the supporters another sold out away end of tomorrow, which is magnificent, which took us nearly five hours to get here tonight. So hopefully it's hopefully it's a bit easy for our fans to get here tomorrow, but we'll we'll see them when they get down here and, and hopefully it's another three points. I mean that that performance we saw at the Valley last Saturday. Does that feel like a, you know, a culmination of everything you've been working towards since you've come to the club? Because obviously, as has been the entire season, not just under yourself, the form has sort of gone up and down in stages. I mean, does it feel like you, you've, you're finally getting the message across to the players that you're hoping for? Uh, that's a really good question. I th- yeah, I think I think so. I think it's obviously a work in progress. I've been in the club 
uh, when did I come in just before Christmas so what just over coming up three and a half months maybe something like that so there's still still loads of work to do somebody actually said to me um you know you're going to get sort of too big for your boots sort of thing in this next performance I'm like well not really we're 12th in league one like it was a one-off performance it was a one-off result you know we're not going to get ahead of steam from that we're going to we're going to stay humble and we're going to as I said before the 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 6-0 the is the result that everybody sees and that's the fact we scored six they never scored they had one attempt on our goal I think two attempts it was the process that led to the 6-0 it was the way that the team in that first 20 minutes fought for each other and they won the physical battle Shrewsbury wanted to come here as did Wickham the week before and play a physical game and we managed to get on top in that moment we then scored a magnificent free kick through Scotty and then and then that gave us a real spark and it was everything that led towards the goal so when you look back at some of the uh, the attacks and some of the magnificent goals that we scored if you rewind the 30 seconds before that it was because somebody pressed at the right time and went and hit a big tackle and then his mate went in behind him and then everybody sees the pass and the touch and the goal and things like that. But it's everything that leads to the to the result, which is the goal at the end of it. So that's all we can focus on. If in that sense, yeah, that's the thing we've been wanting to get into the team is to get after teams a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, I've said from day one we want to play with a bit more of a purpose. Um, I think we've had games this season where that's been taken a bit literally on the day, and the, and the boys have maybe played a bit too direct at times. But I think the pitches have maybe played played into that. But certainly. You know, I want possession-based football. But I want it with a purpose, and that's exactly what we saw on Saturday. We saw forward passing, we saw forward running, getting in behind the opposition, penetrating, and attempts at goal. I mean, there was high number of attempts, obviously, on their goal, and that's what we all want to see. I stand in that technical area almost as a bit of a fan. I want to see the team in attacking the other, the other team. I want us to see us creating moments, and um, yeah, still loads to do, as I keep saying. But it was certainly an, a pleasing, pleasing afternoon. I stood in that dugout, and I was just really proud of the team, the way that we performed. Dean, we've seen it a few times this season with Plymouth uh, early in the season before you came in, then the Morecambe game obviously a few weeks ago and then Shrewsbury, high-scoring games. You kind of talked a little bit about it there, about everything coming together, but why do you think we haven't seen that more often? I appreciate we're not going to win 6-0 every week, but why the team has shown that they've got that sort of performance in them more than once this season. And yet, as you say, we're 12th in League One. So how do you go about between now and the end of the season and then going into next year? making that sort of performance, those people pressing at the right time, as you said, and doing all of those bits right, so that we get that more consistently going into to next year? Um, great question, Tom. I wish I knew the answer. I'm going to pretend I know because I'm a football manager. I'm going to blag this now and pretend that I know the answer to that. Um, no, I'm joking. I think it's repetition. It, it's mess it's repeated messages to players. It's, it's once you've, you have an idea of something, which I had one before I came into the job, and at that point, you're looking for uh, previous experiences of our group doing it. So we've shown clips and goals and, and uh, situations within games this season before I got the job. So you're right, the Plymouth game at home, 5-1. Um, it's more powerful that than showing, say, Man City or Arsenal or Real Madrid or whatever. Once you then start to get in training and, and more often through the repeated messages, through the way that you operate every day, it becomes subconscious to the players because it's something that you're repeating every day um, then you start to show clips of them doing it in training and then more and more of them doing it in games and even in the, in the games that we've lost and drew there's still good moments within that so you're building up a, a catalogue I suppose for want of a better word of, of the players um, performing in a way that you want them to perform as a team and then that all comes together with the performance that we saw at the weekend so consistency is, is everything isn't it we've proved this season that as you just touched on there, that the team's got results in them, but not not nearly enough, which is why we're 12 points from the playoffs. But I think I only really want to comment since I came in because obviously I've seen a lot of games. I've seen most of the games before I got the job this season, but it couldn't be disrespectful to comment on them because I wasn't in the building. I wasn't the manager. I didn't know what was going on pre-season and even though I've obviously done a depth of research and I know, I know what went on, but it's not for me to talk about. I think I'll talk about and happy to talk about everything that's gone on since... 21st of December, I think, when I got the job. And if you look at the the games that we, I think we've lost, I think we've won eight. Have we won eight, Louis? No, I think we've won eight, lost six, drew four, I think. And the six that we've lost, look at four of them that we've lost to. So you look at the teams at the top. So Bolton Wanderers, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth. And then I think Fleetwood was a flip of a coin. And the first defeat was, missed, was game number two under me, which was Oxford away, which was a, a night we all want to forget. So, 
you can see where we fell short this season. You know, we've, we've not been quite good enough previously to get to that part of the, of the division. But consistency is a huge thing. We're on this run at the moment. I think we're 5-1 beaten on the back of an emphatic win last weekend. So, as you'd expect now, confidence is high. The lads that are not in the team are coming in still with a bit of a buzz about them because there's a, there's a real good feel-good sort of factor around the training ground, which is natural after a big result. The key thing in all this for me, the key thing, for us, unless you're Arsenal or the Invincibles back in early 2000s, the key thing is navigating the, the, uh, the bumps in the road. Key thing is navigating a defeat, a poor defeat, maybe where you've been booed off and the fans have, have, have not liked what they've seen and we've not performed anywhere near our level for whatever reason. The key thing is managing that moment for me, um, not allowing it to fester too long in the, in the players' minds because the players know when they play poorly. They're not thick, they're not stupid, they know when they've underperformed. And what the way we've done it since I've come in, and I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, this is how I believe in, in leading, is absolutely just addressing it with total facts, but not necessarily making it personal and turning, because players' confidence can go from there to low really quickly. Um, and I was pleased with that because when we got on that run prior to, prior to this win, uh, sorry, prior to this good run that we're on now, I think we picked up one point in five games, and, and I said before, against some of the better teams, okay, so give it some, you've got to give it uh, for what it was at the time, but for me, to come out of that run as quickly as we did and then go to Morecambe. You don't go to Morecambe and score four and could have scored eight. And and, and don't get me wrong, Morecambe weren't great on the night. We have to accept that. But you don't go and perform and score goals like that if the players' confidence has been shattered by three or four games of not winning. So keeping that sort of middle ground and that balance, and it's not to say that we're singing and dancing because we've got big, because we're not. It hurts. But putting it in perspective. Um, and over a course of a season, if you can do that, I think that's what leads to a to a successful a successful campaign. You have to accept there's going to be some some doubt, some yeah, as I said before, some bumps in the road. To answer your question, Tom, I don't know. But... Yeah, it does. Yes, thank you. I suppose then, if you're talking about ups and downs and players having ups and downs and knowing they've had good weeks and bad weeks, um, how how difficult is that for you to manage when? You know, it feels like you're probably spending a lot of time away from from your own family and your own sort of support base, and then you're trying to be that sort of supporting role for the for the for the players. Is that a sort of a a, a newer challenge for you? And and how do you sort of go around sort of navigating through that and sort of keeping yourself in in that sort of headspace as well? It's really interesting how you word that, Joe. You talk about how how difficult and challenging is that. I, I say that's what I thrive on. I really enjoy that. That moment with one-to-one with a player in the news or a team meeting after a defeat or a message to a player on a weekend when he when they're on a day off. I, I, there's something about that which I really I really value. I think I really suffered from confidence issues as a player. I really suffered, I think. Um I suffered through terrible injuries and never got to the level that I wanted to get to ultimately, although I obviously sustained a career to those 35, which I'm proud of, but it, it never Never got to where I wanted it to get to when I was 16 and I left school. And I really suffered at times with the way that managers treated me post-game after a defeat. I, first time I've ever said that publicly, but I'm I'm OK, you know, being honest about that. And that's why I believe so much in the confidence side of things. Darts is a big sport of mine. And um, how fascinating is darts when you watch two players going against each other? There's no... There's no weather conditions. There's no real opposition, really, because you, you're competing against yourself to hit, the, to hit the double or to hit the bullseye, whatever it is you're trying to hit. And you watch these big matches, the top matches with the top players, and they can go, they, they, they can't miss, can they? They cannot miss. And then all of a sudden, for the next two, three legs, they can't hit a barn door at the same. And it, and it just drops. And that whether that's confidence dropping or, or, the, or the occasion, um, all these things come into it because... The mindset and the psychological side of being a footballer, of of going into coming out of the tunnel at the valley, with big support behind you, and maybe not starting the game as well as you would like individually. Maybe your first touch has not been great, or you've you've made a mistake, whatever. That's what the top players are, are excellent at. It just it's gone. Look at someone like I used to love watching Paul Scholes from Man United in England. He 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 hit four or five passes on the spin, which maybe didn't quite hit the target. But number six or number seven, to be fair, he never hit four back ones. I'm not exaggerating. He probably hit a couple, didn't he? But never. Get, he was that type of character. Um, 
I tell you who we've got in the Albie Morgan's probably a bit like that. He lit he lit one or two things that don't quite come off, but it doesn't doesn't affect him. He, he still wants to still wants to go and try and penetrate, try and hit the next one. Um but not all players are like that. You know, some need to grow back into the game. Uh there's different ways of doing it. Certain players, I'm not going to name them in our squad, would happily benefit from a a good old bollocking, if I'm allowed to use that word, if I'm not just muted for the for the catch-up episode of this. But some of the lads and majority of players, and I've got five kids, I've had five kids of my own. My oldest is, is 16. I know when I put a lot of time into young people and I know how they, how, they, how they function nowadays. And you might see a load of big tattoos, and, all, and but underneath it all, there's a lot of insecurity and finding the way in the life. And life's not been easy in the last few years. Let's not get away from that. So... I just absolutely buzz off getting in around people, making them feel good, empowering players and staff. And when you do need a straightener with someone, whether it's a member of staff or a player, about something that's not going according to plan, you need to have a bit of a straight face-to-face conversation. They, they value it more because they know the effort that you've gone to to, look, to help them, to support them. Uh, and they know it's genuine and honest rather than... I've played for managers in the past who didn't give me the time of day. All of a sudden, I was getting... a bollocking after a game and I just used I I didn't really value that I didn't how did that help me um I think it's the biggest thing I think it's the biggest gain to be had in the future you look at I'm going off tail now so you have to pull me back in Lou but I think when you look at someone like when I was younger all footballers were were physically were like were ripped like they were big strong but I always remember the sprinters like you Linford Christie's and Dwayne Chambers and all them they were you could see every single muscle in the body footballers were never like that they were just always like ripped but nowadays look at Ronaldo and and all these types that that's what they look like so 10 year 15 years time that you can't get any physically fitter or stronger you just can't the gains will be had for me psychologically how can we tap it it's the most under tapped um area in life forget football I really believe that I really really believe it so and I'm fascinated by it and I spend a lot of my time away from the game reading and speaking to people and stuff like that so that's how I uh, I suppose how I manage, how I lead. I really enjoy those, those moments. It's easy when Miles scores two goals last week. Jez scores another worldie that he does most games. Albie Morgan arrives and hits that, that goal. Free uh, Scott Fraser, magician, free kick. It, they're easy to go up to someone and give them an high five and say, well done. It's the one, it's the guy that's not performing very well or not out, he's out of the squad. And how do, you, how do you manage that? And how do you make sure that he's or she's he's doing okay and they're able to keep or to get back to the best, you know, to go, to go like that. So, yeah, it's a yeah. Clearly, it's a fascination of mine with Chen Jong. Mm. I, I didn't realise you were a, a darts man, Dean. Um, a, a few years ago, we had Michael Van Gogh in play at the Valley. Actually, I had my photo taken with him uh, a little mm. while ago. Right. Um, one of the questions that will probably be a bit of a recurring theme. And it always is, unfortunately, with Charlton has been ownership issues and, and takeovers and that sort of stuff. Now, Dan in the comments has asked uh, if he thinks, uh, if you think we'll be competitive in the transfer window, um, will we have a pool compared to others? I guess a big part of how this summer's transfer window will look for us depends on what's actually going on in the background. As manager of the club, what, what can you tell us? How, how sort of in the loop are you kept with the likes of Mark Spiegel, who, who's been named by the club as, as someone who's looking to, to come in? Um, what do you know? Is there anything you can tell us at this point? And and I also wonder if because nothing's signed, sealed and delivered currently, and as we've already seen from one failed takeover, until it is, it's not, and it can it can all end horribly like it did for Charlie Mevin's lot. Does that sort of make it more difficult to plan for what you want to do this summer as well? Um, I spoke to Mark last week, had a lengthy phone conversation, very, very good call that we that we had, very enthusiastic, got good um, good uh Ambitions for the club, really keen to, to, to make this club great again, which is obviously what, what I want to hear and what we all want to hear. Obviously, we're still in the, in the process of, 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 of seeing how, how things pan out, of course, which is totally out of my control. So, now I'm planning and preparing. I've had another chat this afternoon, as I do most days, with, with Steve Gallen and the guys at the football club. Um, how competitive, I think I read it across the screen there. It depends what sort of type of play you're trying to chase now. You know, we, we, we pay good salaries in League One. We can't get away from that. We don't certainly pay what some other clubs at the top of the league have, have been able to pay this this year, I'm talking. Um, sometimes correlates with success, not always. How competitive can we be? If I was a player, 
and Charlton Athletic came calling for me amongst other League One clubs and, and maybe against some of the other championship clubs in fairness. And I went to the training ground and I, and I, and I, I met me. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, went in the stadium. You're looking at the history. You're looking at the fan base. You're looking at nearly 10,000 going to Old Trafford. You're looking at, just as importantly, 280-odd that went to Morecambe. You know, you, you're going, this is a big club. Like, this, is a big, this, is, this is where I want to play. So we can be competitive in that moment, irrespective of any... I'm talking, I'm taking the finances to one side now. I truly believe that. Finances will obviously help in terms of transfer fees and, and salaries and trying to get some of the, you know, the more sought after type players. That's what we're preparing for. That's what we're preparing for. We've got lists, we've got targets. Um, I'll give you an example. We, we, we trained this morning at the training ground. We left. Time did we leave today? We had lunch. We, I did press at quarter one. I think we left about half past one. We got here, as I say, just about quarter past six, I think it was. Um, three phone calls on the way, two with agents, one with a player. Can't name him, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into that now. Whether we end up signing them three that I've just spoke about or not, it doesn't really matter. You've got to put the work in. You've got to get the work done early because the earlier you can get involved in them conversations with agents and players and try to meet them and try to find out more about them. There's a lot of, there's a lot of due diligence goes into signing a player in terms of the character and all that type of stuff. So the earlier you can get in the conversation, the better, because the player then knows how keen you are, how um, important they are to your plans. You know, if you turn up, and don't get me wrong, you can sign a player two days before the window shuts that you've never really spoken about because he all of a sudden becomes available and you didn't know he was available before. But ideally, the player needs to know that you've been in for him from day one. And you've made him a big part of your plans and, and that all adds to the hopefully getting the signature at the end of it. So um I just can control I can't control anything to do with the ownership in terms of whether the deal gets done or not. I can't genuinely it don't matter how much time I spend thinking about it or I have got zero control over that. So it gets zero amount of my time. My time goes on what I can control, which is as I've said before, drawing up list of targets, meeting people, speaking about people, watching watching clips and all that type of stuff. In terms of how you see this summer going, I mean, so on one of our previous shows, so someone tweeted in about um, the clear out that the club had when we last won League One with Chris Powell in 2012. I mean, it was it was massive, including getting rid of the previous season's Player of the Year. Um, I mean, do you foresee there being quite a big turnover this year? I mean, I, I know, and again, I know we've spoken... You know, you spoke at the fans forum about the the type of character you want in in the squad, and obviously, we've played on that a little bit, and it's got taken the wrong way. But um, the is that an apology? Was that an apology? There will, there will be an apology to the player. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, the um, the, worth coming the, on the, the show. yeah, the, the the quality the quality of the player that we've had over the last couple of years, and and again, I'm not I'm not looking at anyone in specific here because as a squad, this will be the second year that we finished somewhere in League One. So, I mean, there must be something that needs to be done differently in terms of how we bring players in this year, in terms of the, the level, if we are to, to be challenging at the right end next season. Yeah, I think I'm going to sound like an idiot again now, but you do what you've always done and you get what you've always got. So, of course, there needs to be a bit of a rethink. I still think there's a, there's a lot of untapped potential at this club in terms of the players in the building at the moment. That's just, as I touched on before, with the, with the environment, the culture that I want to create, I still think there's players that can grow and develop in that environment. Um, I'm not going to give a number on how many players we want to bring in or what positions because it's disrespectful to the group that we've got now. You know, the group that we've got now. Uh, and there's been a lot of criticism this year and, I, and we, we all understand that, not just myself, the players. We understand that because as you just said there, we've, we've probably not achieved as a club. Well, we've certainly not achieved what we set out to do. Obviously, I wasn't here pre-season, but the club was trying to get out of the division. We have to accept that. But I think what people should know and need to know is that there's a really good group of players and, and staff in the building inside the inside the Sparrows Lane who try the nuts off every day to, to do well for this club. There's no there's no slackers in there. They won't they wouldn't they wouldn't be in the building. They, they just wouldn't be in the building. It's as simple as that. And if they were in the building, they'd be training with the well, they wouldn't be training with the first team squad. You wouldn't be seeing them named in a match day squad. So yeah, we've let ourselves down at times this season in terms of performances. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. There's seven games to go. 
and we have to focus on the seven games. It's really easy for me. My people say how much time do you put into next season. There's a lot of time that goes into next season. I'll be spending a couple of hours tonight with the staff going through. You know, we're lucky we've been able to come to an hotel tonight and stay over the night before the game. We'll use that wisely. We'll spend a bit of time talking about next season, not just recruitment, but you know, pre-season plans and training and all that stuff to make sure we get the ground running. But at the same time, there's that doesn't take away from focusing on the game tomorrow. The, the, the focus, the game tomorrow is the most important thing because it's the next game and, and you can't take your eye off it because imagine taking your eye off it and thinking solely about next season, me coming out publicly and saying I want to bring players in this position, that position. All of a sudden, the players in the building are thinking, well, that means I'm leaving and then performances dip because then there's certain players will be like, well, I'm not going to try because I might get injured and I'm out of contracts and I've got a mortgage to pay. So there's all these things to think about. And at the same time, the more that players perform like they did last week, the more of a chance of us wanting to keep them anyway. So it benefits everybody. So uh, I'd like to think we've got a good balance on on that in terms of focusing on the now, but also preparing for next season. To slightly build on that, Dean, we last Thursday, we were talking about the Shrewsbury game and we were kind of talking about what what side you were going to put out and we started to talk about what your goal really is for the end of this season, which you talked a little bit about there, but maybe you can expand on that because for you, it's very unlikely we're going to get enough points now to sneak in the playoffs. That would be a bit of a miracle. We're not going down. So, you know, as an example, you've got a player like Jez, very unlikely he's going to be here next year. So do you drop him for the remainder of the season to be able to play players who will? But playing him brings the excitement of a game like Saturday and then you get more fans in. So you've got, you've got giving playing performances that encourage people to come back. You've got giving youngsters a chance. You've got players like Jez who excite a crowd but may not be here next year. What What is your goal at the moment? Is it finish as high as possible? Is it give you the chance? Is it plan for next year? Is it entertainment? Or it, do you have to juggle all of those each week? All of the above. Yeah, which I think we saw last week. I think last couple of games we finished, or we've certainly had, I think, eight academy graduates in the match day squad, which you won't find at many teams in the in the EFL, in the 72 teams across the EFL. You won't find many that have got as high a number uh, as that. And again, credit to Steve and all the guys at the academy for the incredible um, players that have come through at this club over the years. And they've proved if, if, they're, good, if they're good enough, they'll get a chance under me. There's no doubt about that. I've proved that in time at Bristol City as well. I think. Look at someone like Tyrese Campbell. I always like to try and give examples. It's easy me sitting in on the fence. and whatever. I think Tyrese played against Barnsley, scored a really good goal with Corey Blackett-Taylor and Jez, who were probably the preferred two wingers at the time. So Tyrese sat out a little bit. He then comes back in a couple of games ago. He's been performing really well. How much do you think he's learning from someone like Jez? They've, they've really got close off the pitch. In fact, me and Dobbo were chatting today. We popped at the service station for a brew on the way over and we were having a bit of a laugh about how they're like two uh, two brothers separated at birth, Tyrese and uh, and Jess. Um, so Tyrese is learning all the time from Jess. Jess will be learning from Tyrese as well. Um, I think Aaron Henry, we brought on last week. We saw the qualities again that last half an hour in midfield. Uh, I could go through the team in different positions. Aaron, uh, sorry, Ash Maynard Brewers played every minute under me. Lucas Nesser played every minute till prior to getting injured. Uh, Miles has obviously played pretty much most minutes when he's been fit. So I don't see a, a big difference between trying to win, trying to entertain within that and preparing for next season. I think you're right. I think Jez is obviously a lot, one of the long players. Everybody says we won't keep him. Who knows? Um, but, you know, I think we've done as much for Jez as he's done for the club. And he's one of a number of players that are on loan that may or may not stay next season. But, you know, ultimately, there's, you know, we could easily we could put the youth team to, we could put the youth team out tomorrow, couldn't we, to prepare for five years time? But you know, we've got to win a game of football at the same time. So it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not a position you ideally want to be in, is it? With seven games to go, but big thing for me is Easter weekend's a big part of the season. With six points available in four days, three four days, whatever it is. Let's see where where we end up come come Monday evening. We've had a, a couple of uh, questions emailed in uh, over the course of the week and, and someone's asked a similar one on the chat as well. But Jimmy via email, this is something, again, we, we've spoken about on Charlton Live, it feels like, for every year going. But um, 
are we a club that always suffers with injuries more than others, or are we a club that we think we do because we only really know about Charlton? I don't look up how the injury crisis is going at Oxford or, or other clubs like that because I'm not looking at them every day. Um, so that's a question that Jimmy sent in. Do, do you find when you've come into Charlton that we get the same amount of injuries as other clubs, or are we genuinely cursed? Well, we're certainly not cursed. I think that's just a nonsense. Um, we're actually in the process of doing a benchmarking with with EFL clubs and looking at everybody else. I think there's always trends within that, but at the same time, you can only control in-house. You know, I don't really care what's going on at any other League One club, in fairness. Um, and if we look at someone, again, an example, Corey Blackett-Taylor has suffered through multiple hamstring injuries throughout his career. I think he's had three at Charlton, which is three too many for him and for us and for the supporters. But it's certainly not nowhere near the amount that he'd suffered at previous clubs. So we have to go back. I had a really good conversation yesterday around people are asking, is it the warm-up pre-match? Is it the, There's hundreds of things to go into it, literally. The big thing for me is pre-season is a huge part of, of what you do throughout the season. League One football is, is different to what we see in the Championship and the Premier League, which is there's no international breaks unless you've obviously got three players who qualify. So you're starting the season at sometimes up towards the end of June and you're finishing middle of May, end of May if you get to the playoffs. And so that's a long old slog without any real break. So you've got to get pre-season right. Again, I'm not going to touch on what's happened before, but certainly this pre-season will be around making sure the players are conditioned and resilient enough to get through a season where you are playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You know, it's relentless in that in that in that respect. Um, you can have the nicest, shiniest car in the world, but if you can't get around the track for ninety laps, you're not going to win. And I say ninety laps, I don't really watch F1, but you're not going to win. A, you're not going to win a race. You can get around for sixty, seventy-five, and all of a sudden you need a pit stop, and, you, and your race is run. Your engine's blown up, so you need to be conditioned enough uh, to get through for 90 minutes repeatedly. And I talked, I touched on a few weeks ago, I think teams that have done well in, in this division and other divisions before have had a core group of players who can who can maintain uh, the relentless nature of League One football. You've got to be robust. You've got, you've got to make sure you can, you can go every three days. Um, arguably, we've not had that this season. You know, I think, I think, I think it's fair to say that um, for whatever reason. So that's something we'll be looking to rectify for sure. Excellent stuff. Right, we're going to have a quick 30-second break here on Charlton Live. When we come back, we're going to speak more with the Addicts boss, Dean Holden. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cullen trying to take his man on. Chip ball back across, Bowers there, Pierce is there, Bowers with a header, and it's Joe! Yes! 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 Oh, he's got Oh, Patrick Barr! The absolute German beauty! Woo! Dreamland! Joe have scored! With seconds remaining! We've done it, Joe! Get in! Come on! What a time to be here! Here at Wembley! Right, welcome back to Charlton Live. Just to mark your card, we're not going to do a show on Sunday, obviously, with it being Easter weekend. We'll have another game on Monday, so we won't look back at that until uh, next Thursday. I'm still going to be in Bristol uh, myself as well. But we've got a very special show for you uh, this evening. The Addicts boss, Dean Holden, uh, joining us live 
uh, on YouTube this evening. Been really fascinating so far, Dean. So thank you. Uh, we're really grateful for you uh, joining us. Um, th- th- there's been a question from Johan as well, and I guess this is this comes back a little bit to partly how you're going to deal with the the squad in the summer and, and who's going to be about. But Johan's asking if you've had a chance to sort of keep in touch with the, the players who've been out on loan. Uh, he's put the likes of Kirk, McGrandles, Jai Simi and Sam Lavelle. Um, obviously, they, they, they're out with their, their clubs currently, but when they come back in the summer, again, from themselves as their career and, and, and Charlton as, as a squad, you're, I guess there'll be discussions to be had there. Yeah, I, I was chatting with Sam Lavelle this afternoon. Sam was in my office and we had a good chat this afternoon, I think, as, as an example. I think, you know, them guys went on, out on loan for a reason in January, for different reasons. We obviously have to reassess come the summer what, what, what we do with them guys. They're, they're under contract for next season. Uh, various uh, levels of, of terms of, of, in terms of contracts on the deal. And we have to look at that. I think, you know, we tried to put a squad together that, that could get through the the rest of the season. I felt the squad was too big. I felt it was unbalanced. We're, we're now working with a more manageable more manageable squad. I know, I know the question on injuries there has hampered us throughout the season prior to the break, but I think we've only, at the minute, we've only... We've got Nessie who's injured. Um, there's only three or four really. You know, come towards this part of the season, it's, I wouldn't say that was horrendous. I think we've suffered at times through key players getting getting niggles. Um, so yeah, all them conversations will be had prior to the prior to the, end of the season. I'm not bothered Kirky too much recently. Obviously, we play Burton on Monday. Kirky obviously can't play. Um, interestingly enough, Cambridge asked us a couple of weeks ago when we went there and beat them. They asked us if Connor could play, which I thought was a ridiculous request. Um, fair play for asking. I mean, I do the same in their position, but I don't think there was any going to be any winners in that scenario, really, for Connor or for me or for anybody else. So, uh, of course, we watch we watch all the games. We have Steve Gallen and the guys get out, get out to the games and watch not just potential recruits, but also guys on loan and, and not just them four mentioned. You know, the youngsters as well. We've got quite a few youngsters out on loan, which something we want to keep pursuing next season. Um, certain players get through under 21 football quite seamlessly but are not quite ready for the first team so you know these local loans that we can get them at good non-league teams are a huge benefit to us as a club and we, and we respect the, you know the clubs involved in them deals and yeah we get our eyes on all of the all of the players um, whether it's live whether it's uh, through video scouting and we have regular meetings and, and, and we're updated all the time so yeah that's obviously a part of the job as well which you have to you have to respect <clears throat> one of the things that um, obviously Charlton recent history have had a fair few managers coming in through the doors, uh, but also a lot of promotion from from within. Um, obviously, Bowie was already here, uh, Jacko was already here, um, and then if you look back over the, the course of managers coming in uh, with their own ideas, they're often in Charlton's world having to do their ideas with existing staff or existing teams in in place. Obviously, with Marshall leaving. Is there a view in terms of bringing someone in next season and sort of what, how do you sort of see that sort of balancing with what yourself and um, Anthony have already got and, and skill sets that maybe uh, would sort of enhance what we're able to get out of the current players that we've got and the players that we're going to be bringing in in next season to to build on that next level as well? Oh, really interesting that, Joe. We've, yeah, topical at the moment as well. Discussions this week, I think. I think the important thing for me to, to realise is where are my uh, where are my strengths and weaknesses. There's no point in bringing in a yes man. I would never employ a yes man in, in my life. I want people that are going to be different to me. Uh, I want people that are going to be better than me, essentially, and are going to challenge me. So I see that in Hazy. Obviously, when I came into the job, I came in on my own, which is not easy because you don't know anyone. I knew Dobbo and one or two other players, but um, you quickly get to grips with it. I spoke to I think I might have said this pre- previously publicly, but I spoke to John O'Shea, who was a, who I was working with at Stoke City, and he'd come across Hazy on a, on a, one of the coaching badges, and he said he knew I was coming to Charlton. He said he sent me a lovely message saying, you know, give it, give him a chance. You know, he's he's a really really good coach and well respected, and, and certainly that's the case. He's a fantastic on the grass with the players. Hazy retired young, so although he's I'm doing a disservice now, he's thirty mid thirties, I think mid-36 or something, he looks a bit older than that, but um, he's been coaching a long time and you can see that he's, he's got a great demeanour on the pitch, he challenges the players, he's got a real good connection obviously with the youngsters coming through, he's been at the club a few years now, prior to that he was at Brentford and, and saw what 
before Brentford became what they are now, he was looking at that as they were coming through and he was looking at how they developed and became what they are now, which is essentially where we want to get to, really. So I've been really impressed with him. Um, and I'm using Hazy. You know, we've got Shims, a goalie coach, we've got the medical team. There's a really good nucleus of a good staff here. But you're right, Marshy left. I think that was always going to happen when, when Ben Garner got another job. Ben rang me um, and asked me what I thought. I said to Ben, well, what does, what does Marshy want to do? What do you want to do? He said he wants to join me. I said, right, no problem. I was never going to stand in Marshy's way. It was good for us while I was at the club, but clearly he wanted to join Ben and we respect that and, and it allows us to have a look at something else. So, you know, we're having these discussions at the moment. We've been well short this year on set pieces, both attacking and defensively. If we look at the, the, the net result from the goals we've conceded and the goals we've scored, we're minus. Uh, although we've improved in recent weeks, Imagine we had another 10 points through set pieces this season where we've been now. So that's the value I put on them. Does it mean we bring a set piece coach in, an expert, or, or do we look to, to recruit someone who's got that as a background? It's something I did uh, while I was at Bristol City. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a manager, I'm a coach, a manager that likes to be on the grass with the players, but I don't need to take every session. I'm quite comfortable in hazy driving a lot of the sessions and and me standing back and coming in when I need to and, and, and saying certain things at whatever point. Obviously, the tactical stuff we do together. But, um, I'm not sitting on the fence, by the way, John. I'm just giving you a bit of a, a bit of a, a feeling as to the conversation that we've had. It'd be easy to, to ring up someone that I've worked with before. Or, but I think well, yeah, we're looking into everything at the moment. There's some, there's some names, again, on the list. Uh, some guys I know personally, some I don't. We have to get the right guy in for the football club. It's nothing to do with... As I said before, I'm really comfortable in my own skin. I don't need my mate to come down to London with me and tell me how great I am and agree with every decision because the, that's the quickest way to the, the team underperforming and the quickest way for me to the job centre. And I want someone like Hazy and, and other staff members who will actually say, no, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the right thing, Gaffer. And then I have to think about it. Um, and that's not just with team selection. We had that this morning with... You know, there's a game next week up at Crew for the under-21s. There's certain players that have not travelled with the first team over to Bristol and will be training tomorrow at Sparrows Lane. And you know, do we do we send them up to Crew to get some minutes? And all these types of things. It's it's constant, it's constant conversations around loads of different s subjects, which all comes together for a player performing on a match day when you see him in in the stands. So, um, no, I'm excited about it. I think we will bring one in. We've just not made a decision yet on who that's going to be. Very interested indeed. Right, um, next question comes in from a fan. Uh, Martin says, uh, has Dean taken up Eric Ten Hag's offer of going to Carrington? If so, what did you take from it? Obviously, after the uh, one of our proudest nights in, in, in recent history, really, that, that game up at Old Trafford, uh, you were invited to, to the training ground with Man United. Have you managed to get over there yet? I probably need to qualify this a little bit. I, I kind of invited myself, really. Um, <laughs> And he couldn't say no, could he? You know, he just beat us 3-1 and no, he was brilliant. He was absolutely, I've been in touch with him since. I think, again, topical, I'm on the, the bus today with Hazy and I've messaged, I know Steve McLaren's son really well uh, through previous. Steve's obviously Eric's uh, assistant. So there's a good chance they're going to go in. When our season finishes uh, after the Cheltenham game, assuming we don't quite make the playoffs, um, I think that's a seven for May. Uh, the Premier League runs for another couple of weeks after that, so the plan is to go in then. I think we wanted to go in really early after after the Carabao Cup game. They then had Barcelona. I tried to jump on that and come in for the sort of. Match. I want to go and watch a match prep session. I could, it's easy to go in on like a Monday or a Tuesday and watch a generic session of possession and that, which would be great. Don't get me wrong, but I'd ideally want to go in, which I've done before quite a bit at a number of clubs. You know, go and watch like a, the day before they play a match. Go and watch the match prep session. Maybe the meeting. If the normally the foreign guys are quite open for you to come in, don't think I'm any threat to, to Eric Ten Hag at the moment. So, ideally, watch the sort of team meeting, watch the match prep training session, and then go to the game the next day. And then ideally, then go and watch the the, the, the next day after that the debrief, the debrief of the video, how they thought the game went. You know, compared to what the game plan was, all that. So it'd probably be a two or three day uh event so that's why i've left it till now i didn't obviously i can't get that time away from the training ground in, in season so once our season finishes ideally it'll be a good opportunity to, to go and yeah spend a couple of days up at carrington and try and do a bit of learning that way and talking of the perhaps the behind the scenes stuff the stuff that we as fans don't see that that you do dean apart from obviously taking training and everything else in terms of our youth teams how much do you get an opportunity to see them i know 
We've had a couple of first teamers who've been out for a while playing, I think, this week in a game. But even down to kind of under 18s and younger, do you get much opportunity to see them? And are there players that you're already looking at as potentials for maybe next year that you're you're seeing in those youth games? Yeah, I think again when I came into the, the club, I I mean I've spoke before when the first meeting I ever had in the canteen at Sparrows Lane, there was hundred and odd people in there. There was the women's team, the academy, the grounds. It was incredible. It was a real insight to what this club really is behind the scenes and I think we'd seen at that point, for whatever reason, I think there'd been teams working in silos as the youth team was sort of stuck over there. Although we're on the same, it's incredible because everyone's on the same site. I've not had that before at other clubs. That's a real positive to be able to have the youth team, the women's team, the, the 21s, the first team all together. You know, what a great opportunity for one of the youngsters or for one of the, the girls in the women's team to, to, to meet with, I don't know, a Lucas Ness or a, a Miles Lieburn in the canteen and chat and vice versa. And to learn that way. So you know, there was a bit of a, a silo. So we tried to bring everybody together. Uh, the training ground's buzzing at the moment. I'm really proud of that, actually, the environment that, we, that we're creating. Uh, yeah, I was at the game at the at the Valley earlier in the week. I think it was, was it Monday or Tuesday, Monday, I think. Uh, Under-21s game against Wigan. We, we played the under-18s because obviously the under-21s were playing in the, the Welling game on the Tuesday night. Again, one on penalties. Fantastic result. But the under-18s on Monday, was it was, it was a strong under-21s Wigan team and, and added to that, they had Callum McManaman, who's obviously been a big player for Wigan over the years. I think he's back on trial. We had two under-16s on the pitch, one of which scored. I was there with two of my boys um, watching that. They performed really well. So they're not. some of them won't be far off coming into the first-team training group in pre-season because, you know, depending on how many players leave the club at the end of the season and, and maybe prior to bringing in a couple of external recruits, there might be an opportunity for a young player to get into that training group and maybe even come on tour with us, which remind me of your question in a minute. I just wanted to mention we're going to be releasing the pre-season games next week onwards. There is going to be a tour, which I may or may not get a, a ticking off for. Hopefully some of the supporters can come and watch. I think before it's been behind closed doors, but we've got a game planned, which we're hoping to play. Well, we will play at a venue, which is supporters can come and watch. Uh, I think it's a big part of pre-season. If there's a few people, um, and I'd love to give you the details now, Louis, but where the boys were, where they stayed last year, the hotel's being renovated. So Tracy Lieburn is probably why I'm watching this. I think she is because she messaged me before. Um, but she'll be hard at, at work trying to get this all boxed off and, and signed and sealed. So hopefully next week we can probably announce the tour as well. So hopefully some of the supporters can come over. And I think it's a good way for them to come watch training, have a bit of a chat with the players and get to know a little bit more. So um, question, yeah, so... Yeah, so my lads have been training with the academy this week. So I was at the, I was there on Tuesday. Uh, when was it? Wednesday night was what, were the thirteens, fourteens, fifteens were there, and, and again last night with the younger age groups. It's a, it's a real hive of activity. They had the training ground on an evening. You know, there's a, there's two astro pitches. There's, there's four or five age groups on on both pitches. There's coaches, there's, there's parents. You can, yeah, I think it's important for me to to show. Um, What's the right word, I suppose? If we're trying to bring everybody together, it's important for me to get to know, you know, the under-13s coach, the under-12s coach. And, yeah, we've got, we've actually got something planned at the end of the season. I went and met them all for a... Uh, we had a pint up in uh, London Bridge at Christmas time. I jumped on with the academy staff and we're going to... Uh, yeah, there's a nice there's a nice day out at Goodwood booked at the end of the season, which will be which will be nice for, uh, yeah, for us all to get together once the season's done and dusted. So I think it's important. The clubs I've been at in the past, certainly as a player, you know, when the first team management show a bit of support and a bit of care to the to the guys. You know, these are working, you know, they're not working for big salaries. They're not working even for the salary. They're working for the for the love of the game on a Tuesday night at Sparrows Lane when there's horizontal hailstone coming in. And, and it wasn't like that last night because I wouldn't have gone. It was nice and it was sunny. <laughs> well, that's what they're doing it for. And then when you see a, when you see a Miles Lieburn or, a, or an Aaron Henry or a Ness or a Tyrese Campbell on could be here all night talking about the first team players that have come through our academy. No, they're the guys that deserve all the credit. No, they're the ones that have put the hours in. The players deserve a lot of credit. The families, of course, all that. But these guys on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, up and down the country, not just at Charlton, um, they deserve a lot of credit, to be fair. So it's nice to go and say hello and, and make, yeah, meet some parents and whatever else. Mm. Excellent. I'm glad you mentioned the, the pre-season tour because that was a, a question that Cabby sent in during the week. 
because uh, uh, as you say, I know it's uh, something that a lot of fans enjoy following the team somewhere sunny in, in pre-season. So I'll, I'll, I'll go to one of the, again, it's another question that I imagine you'll you'll probably be asked quite a lot during the summer. And, you know, it's, it's a question that fans will be concerned about, but how easy or difficult will it be to keep hold of our best players in, in the summer? And we, and we know who we're talking about. Your, your, your miles is, you know, the, the players have got such potential, you know, I guess a lot of that will come down to who the ownership will end up being as well. But how how difficult is it for a club at our level to keep hold of someone like Miles Lieber? And how important is is it for the squad, for the playing squad, if if you can? I think the honest answer is it depends on each individual. I think we've seen all over the country, but certainly Charles Mason Burstow recently is one one recent example. An offer comes in and and the club decide at that point that it's the right financial offer for for that individual player, I think I've been assured that that's not going to happen this summer. I think you're right that, I mean, how great is it that we're sat here talking about unsaid players? And the more that you talk about them after a game, the more you talk about Miles and, and obviously Jez is a long player, but, you know, the, the, the Tyrese kind of the younger ones, the more attention it attracts, especially through social media. But that's never going to go away. Young players are, are being touted by bigger clubs. That's just a fact. And that's a great position for us to be in. It really is because it shows that we've got some exciting young talent coming through and all supports can relate to a, nothing more than a young player coming through their own academy, can they? So, um, no, we're trying to build or we will build. We've, we've already tied down a couple to, to longer-term contracts. Hopefully, there's more to come. Um, hopefully, a couple are not far away. And again, that's a, sh- it's a sign of intent. You know, I can say what I want on it, but it's a sign of intent and that's what we want to do this summer. We want to build the squad next year around our best youngsters. Also add some some real good seniors to the ones that we've already got. I think you look at the clubs again. You know, this club has to get out of League One as quickly as possible. Hopefully next season is the time to do that. Um, and to do that, you need a mixture. You know, you can't just have a group of youngsters all on their own. You just sound a bit like Alan Anson now, don't I, back in. <laughs> all the younger fans will be thinking, who's he? But um, he was a fantastic pundit, by the way. God Who knows where he ended up, why he, got, he ended up off. I thought it was brilliant on match of the day. I won't go off on a tangent now, Anna, but you do need some good seniors around them to show them what elite looks like. Ideally, some that have been at a higher level or have certainly been promoted from this division. They've been there, they've done it, they, they know what it feels like. Uh, so you need a good mixture, a good balance, and that, obviously that's, that'll be the plan we're recruiting in the summer. Uh, right, well, um, I, I've actually got one more that's come in via email. This is quite a fun one from Andrew. He says, uh, is there any particular manager you look forward to having a pint with after the game? So um, I, I know you, you always, you, you're going to like the, the manager's office normally in a away game with you to have a quick drink. Is there, is there one? I imagine someone like Joey Barton could be quite interesting, for example. <laughs> Careful what I say now. When I'm, uh, I don't know if you live around here or not. Um, I need to qualify something. I think I said this before. I think because of Obviously, going in the Royal Oak post Brighton game, I did. I did, to be fair, going after the Chef Wednesday defeat, um, and obviously bought the, the fans some beers on the way back from a train and had a folklore or two. I don't really socialise too much, but there's there was a funny story. Me old man come down a couple of weeks ago, and he was. I met him at London Bridge. Um, he's not great on the tube, so he come into Euston. I met him at London Bridge, and we we're going for a curry. He loves an Indian. Me old man's particularly like a tradition on a Friday night, which Joe, I'm really. Jealous of you because you've just been eating them <laughs> in your barges before. Um, and some guy, there was six Charlton season ticket holders in this. I said to me, Dad, I'll, just, I'll meet you at, I can't remember the, the name of the pub, just it was an easy one on the corner for, for us as a meet point, really. We met up, we said, Come on, we'll have a quick half while we're here. Six season ticket holders clocked me, can we have a picture? So I said, Well, yeah, but let's go outside because another picture in a pub makes me look like on social media, looks like I'm always <laughs> out, out and about. Um, who would have. <laughs> In this division, I go into every single manager's office, win, lose or draw. Went in, went into Carl Robinson's office when they turned us over in game number two at Oxford. Didn't really want to go in, but you have to go in to show respect. I think it's easy to go in when you've won a game. I think it's it's it's, it's harder, and it probably takes the bigger man to go in after a defeat because you don't get a lot of value out of it. The ones that I know personally well are the ones I look forward to. So probably a Paul Warren. I'm just thinking Schumacher, Shuey at Plymouth. I've known for a long time. Probably Warney. Warney's is yeah, probably like minded to me. He's a little bit different. He's he's good value, Warney. Um, like him a lot. And his staff, Richie and Matty as well. Um, although I didn't enjoy going in obviously when we played him recently at their place, but 
always good to see. It's always good to see the good guys. I think the ones that you don't know particularly well, you kind of, I invite all of them into our office. One or two have not come in for whatever reason. Um, one or two come in and don't really say a great deal. It's always a bit cocktail talk. It's always about, so who have you got next week? And it's always just a bit of a tradition, really. But no, the good ones, the personal ones, as I say, Warren is a great guy. Love him to bits. So he'd be the one I think I'd enjoy a yeah, drink with post game. Um, just sort of going back in terms of obviously people that you've known a, a while and a little bit into your sort of history, um, who would be sort of the manager for you that you you sort of took the most from or you look up to that you played for um, and potentially the player that you played next to that uh, you sort of just couldn't believe what they could do and their ability that, or even the way that they sort of built built themselves or build themselves around the um, training ground that, that you've maybe taken some learnings from over the course of your career? Um. I always, as a, as a player, I always go back to the two I had that bookended my career. So Sam Allardyce at the very beginning gave me my debut. Fantastic manager, clearly. I was with him on Sunday at the Papa John's final. Uh, great experience. Just what you see is what you get with Big Sam in terms of as a player, you know exactly what he wanted from you, no grey areas. It was easy to play for him because you knew exactly what he wanted. He was tough, obviously. Um, and that was, I'm going back now, beginning of the century. That was sort of, I made my debut late 1999, that's how old I am. Um, Dean Smith at the very end when I went to Walsall was a sort of a bit of a player coach and, and his assistant, Rich O'Kelly, showed me something I'd not seen. I'd not seen, I'd worked. When I left school in 1996, I've worked, I've been out of the game for three months. When I left Stoke at the start of this season, that's the longest I've, before I got this job, the longest I've been out of the game. I'm so lucky that's, I think three months is the longest I've ever been out of football as a player, coach and manager. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. But that time with Dean Smith at the very end of my playing career showed me something that I'd never seen before. The way that he operated on a day-to-day -day basis. Everything I said at the beginning of this conversation, that he's a family man, he's, he's, he's humble, he's, he's got little ego. He puts a huge emphasis on empowering the people around him. Um, which I think is a massive strength. And I make the decision. You know, you've got this, you've got to snap into something and be the leader and step up. But when there's a lot of time throughout the week training and stuff, I think it's great to empower people and see what they see what ideas they've got. Um so I think that I think that just before lockdown, I'll tell you a funny story here. Just before lockdown, when we didn't know the world was about to collapse for two years, I was actually due to be booked in for the snip. You know, we'd had five we had five kids. And I thought I had the opportunity to go to in the same day, I flew to Dublin. Met with Stuart Lancaster, who's the old England rugby coach, who I value very, very highly. Ex-teacher, brilliant leader. Spent the day with him, learning at Leinster, and then I flew back to London and met a guy called David Marquette, who's in the uh, Navy in America. And he's, if anybody is interested in stuff like this, there's a book called Turn the Ship Around, which is completely a, about leadership. And it's basically, rather than the boss dictating and telling everyone what to do all the time and making all the decisions, he ended up taking over this submarine, which... He had no idea about, but he was the boss and he completely empowered all the staff and all the experts. And it's just a fascinating story about leadership and something I really took from and I met him and I've been in touch with him since. So that was at the time that I was working just after I'd been working with Dean Smith. So I learned some things here, which I really wanted to take into professional management. But because I'd never seen it as a player, I always doubted it. To, can that work? You know, can that only work in, say, an academy system where you're not fighting for three points on the weekend or... Why does it work in rugby and not football? So I'm not trying to be a smart ass who's trying to reinvent the wheel, but I think football is quite institutionalised even still. So these are the guys that I really took confidence from, really, that actually, go on then, go and do it your way, go and see if that works. Um, and obviously getting sacked after seven months at Bristol City, clearly maybe you didn't. But um, I do believe it. That's the way I work. That's the way I'm going to work till you know, I'll learn and I'll grow. That's how I like to operate. And... Um, as a player, I don't know, as a player who did a look up, I mean, the best player I ever played with was probably two. I had a good Johnson, who was unbelievable. And uh, JJ Akotcher, he's was obviously the best player I've ever seen. The unfortunate thing for me was I was on the back, I was coming back from a broken leg. I'd been out for 15 months. And uh, in my first session back, I was doing 1v1s against JJ Akotcher. So that wasn't much fun. Um, but Kev Nolan's probably another one, you know. Kev Nolan, who... He'd say it himself, he's a humble, he's a scouser, he's an all, he's humble as they come. 
he maximised everything about his career. He became captain of Bolton. He went to Newcastle. He should have got more caps for England. Did I don't even know if he did get caps. I think he was in a squad or two. But he maximised everything about his career. He was he was a he was a running midfielder who could tackle, who could pass, who could control the game. But he could score goals. He arrived. His timing was excellent. Frank Lampard esque at times. Um, so I think looking back, he was two years younger than me. Um, and my wife always says it's funny because. We got together when we were 19 and we went on a night out and uh, she said she fell in love with me just before I broke my leg. And as I was going like that, Kev, Kev Nolan was going like this. <laughs> she always says she picked the wrong player. But um, no, he was, he, was, he was a top player, to be fair to him, yeah. Excellent. Right, we, we've very almost run out of time. So I'll just ask one more question, Dean. And, and again, we're really grateful. Um, a lot of fans have said thank you as well in the chat. So I think the fans are grateful as well. But all hell... Let loose. Um, I guess it's quite a it's quite an open question, but you know what what does constitute success for Charlton next season? He's saying, are we looking top two? Are we looking top six? He talks about obviously you'll need a, an amount of budget to to succeed in that regard. But you know, as as fans, you know, I'm certainly still guilty of it, and and I think fairly, I, I see Charlton as this former Premier League club that's in a division they should never be in. But I guess from from the outside. Some people will look at Charlton as a team that's been in League One for was it nine of the last fifteen or so seasons? Like a long time now. What what is an acceptable level of success for Charlton next season? Is top six something that's fair to aim for? Is top two aiming too high? Is that what we should be looking for? I, th- I think it's um, I think it's the level of expectation when you join this football club as a player as a, as a manager. You have to you have to accept the level of expectation. I think you know when when we win at say Forest Green a couple of weeks ago. It, you know, when we were in the Premier League, Forest Green were wherever they were in the football pyramid. I think that's what we you have to accept. I think you're right, though. I think we are where we are. And the more that we embrace that in terms of being humble enough to know that we're not just guaranteed promotion because we've got a better stadium than everyone else or we've got a huge history or we've got Alan Kirbyshire and, and Keith and, and all these guys behind that are trying to help us and drive us, that doesn't really do a lot on a match day when you've got five or three points. Um What's the saying? It's on the blackboard at my house, but I've not been back. I've not been back to Manchester for a good number of weeks now, so my wife will kick off. But it's something that we put into our children. It's something like aim for the moon, and if you if you miss, you'll land among the stars, something like that. So aim. We'll be aiming to be champions next season. That's not me being arrogant or saying that we deserve it or saying it's just going to happen. But we'll approach pre-season, well, the off-season, aiming to be champions next year. And if we can't become champions, can we get second? And if not, can we get playoffs? And we. And you have to fight and scrap and you have to deserve it. You have to put the work in. You have to go above and beyond to make sure that happens. But why would I sit here now and say, well, top 10 or... Because that just limits that limits where you can get to. You know, when I was out of work for three months, did, did, I, did I really believe I could become the child manager? Child managers are huge. This is a huge job. Maybe at the beginning, I didn't know. Um, but if you don't aim for something and try to give everything you've got to get in it, then what are you? You're just someone that just settles. And I've never settled in my life. I've never settled for anything in my life. I've fought for everything that I've, that I've got. Um, I fell in love with my wife at 14 years old. We were 14 years old. We went to school together. Did I ever think I could marry her? Probably not at the beginning. But I fought for her and scrapped and I kept going back. And to be fair, I did leave her for two years. She came back to me. But you have to dream and you have to aim for something. Um, sounds like a big Churchill speech now, so I apologise for that. But I don't believe in settling for anything. I'll give you one last stat before we go. When we when we lost our daughter nearly eleven years ago, 88 percent of marriages fail within two years when you lose a child because of the the destruction, the devastation, the trauma. And we're one of we're a success story. We're nearly eleven years on. We're still married. So I don't believe in stats. I don't believe in... We were, we were, we were fighting against the odds. We were 12% chance. And we got through it. So I use experiences like that to think, well, we're one of 24 teams next year that are trying to get out of one of the three places available. There's a lot of work to do. But we'll give it a right good bash. Dean, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to have you on Charlton Live this evening. Uh, as I said, we've got loads of comments saying thank you for, for joining us. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really brilliant. So, yeah, thanks for, for joining us on Charlton Live. If you hang about for 30 seconds after the jingle, 
Uh, I'll just explain uh, how, how we do the uploading and stuff. Um, Tom and Joe as well. It's been a pleasure to spend this evening with you. Thanks, chaps. Cheers. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, cheers. Absolutely Thanks, fascinating. Thanks for your support, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, so a massive thanks to everyone who joined us live on YouTube uh, this evening as well, to anyone who listened on the catch-up uh, via YouTube or via the podcast. So don't forget, we won't be back on Sunday. We will be back next Thursday. We'll have a couple of games to look back at, obviously, and a, and a game to look ahead to as well. So, uh, yeah, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you to Dean. And uh, we shall see you guys next week. Bye.